Welcome to Put Up Your Spooks, the dueling podcast that puts the ooks in spooks. This week's theme, Hollywood Monsters. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Ryan. How, uh, how's your spooks? Pretty good. Um, we were going to watch uh, a different episode today. You had suggested The Tale of the Dangerous Soup. Good episode. We were going to compare that with something, and I thought I'd found a really good Tales from the Dark Side. And man, for the life of me, I could not find a video of tales from the dark side anywhere it's like been completely scrubbed from the internet sorry dark side fans so we actually couldn't do the matchup that we wanted tonight but i still had like a tab open with tale of the dangerous soup so when i sat down to start watching the episodes i started watching the tale of the dangerous soup oops and i was like riveted <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was so into it it took me a long time and i was like wait a minute this isn't what we're supposed to be watching. I'm telling you, we got to get on that episode somehow, some got way. It. Yeah, it's a Vink episode, but rest assured, good listener, tonight is also a Vink episode. Oh, yeah. Da, va, va, va. I had a real hankering for some Vinkering. You want to uh, start us off with... All right. My B-side this evening, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of Midnight Madness. So right off the bat, we've got Midnight Society. Kiki and one of the other characters are about to go to this crazy midnight horror marathon at the local cineplex and frank comes in and says i'll never go to the midnight horror marathon again too spooky you don't know what's real and what's fake and then he tells his story tale of the midnight madness so two characters pete and katie work at the rialto which is like a rundown old movie palace that has seen better days but still has its old hollywood charm so when i watch tv you know, we live in L.A., and this habit just kind of seeps into your your viewing habits, which is when you see a location, you try to place it somewhere in L.A., because <laughs> right. so often that's the case. Forgetting and that this is Toronto. And outside the, the Rialto, uh, they showed this, like, classical theater, and I was like, oh, is that the one in Westwood, or is that in Hollywood? Where is that? And, like, I had myself fairly convinced I knew where it was, and the next scene it was snowing, and I was like, oh, wait, this is all in Canada. (laughs) Yeah. So the theater has really seen better days. There's one old lady watching this old black-and-white movie that they're showing, clapping sarcastically as the credits roll. Was that sarcastic clapping? It was certainly a slow clap. It was a slow clap, but she also was very frail and old. She's also a sourpuss. She's like, you guys gotta do better. My time's valuable. Sourpuss if you're lucky. (laughs) So she leaves. They recycle her popcorn container because that's how bad it is. The manager comes out and he's like, hey, oh, six bucks. That's all we got. Oh, what am I going to do? They're going to shut us down. Hey, (laughs) make jokes. And uh, he leaves. Then Pete awkwardly is like, hey, so Katie, um, you know, shucks. You, you might be, maybe you want to go out with me? And she's like, nah. And then she goes home. And 
So Pete loves this theater. He does not want to see it shut down. So he goes out and starts petitioning people. He goes to City Hall, tries to get landmark status. Can't do it. I guess nobody gives a shit about the Rialto except for Pete. They're at work again the next day. Nobody's in there. They're recycling popcorn containers. I feel like it was okay that they were recycling the popcorn and drink containers because it was the same It was the old same old lady. lady. She was just getting her same container every time. And not to read too much into it, but I kind of feel like she was racist you think she didn't like pete because he was a black man what she was pretty ding 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 interracial relationship counter (laughs) one god bless you are you afraid of the dark well one for this episode but you know pretty high for are you afraid of the dark yes yeah i mean screw that old racist dingbat yeah what a weird beret wearing freak show let her eat her she dirty old popcorn i feel like she was the only other one who actually believed in the rialto though maybe she was just that bored but she showed up every goddamn day no matter what they were playing i feel like she was a pensioner who had <laughs> no family and no friends yeah she was but a sourpuss. We digress. Mm. So they're at work and nobody's there and they're closing down for the day. The doors are locked and suddenly the door, there's a knocking on the door. And they're like, yo, we're closed. Go away. I'm trying to, you know, get some booty over here. I'm trying to work my mojo. The door starts to rattle. Ugh. So they go over to check the door. Hey, we're closed. And the, uh, the lock starts unlocking all by itself. Then the doors open, and with a flourish, who should appear but Dr. Vink? And he says, Joe, I've got something for you, you little crazy bastards. He's like, I love this theater. Oh, the sights, the smells. Before there was such things as color and sound and storylines. And uh, the manager comes down, and he's like, what the fuck? Get out of here, you crazy hobo. And Vink's like, I've got a deal to make with you, sir. He says, I have a film here. And if you show my film one night a week, I guarantee you, you'll start doing better business. And if it doesn't, I'll go away. And if it does, you got to give me one night a week to show my other films. And the manager's like, hey, oh, what do you think this is? Some kind of charity or whatever? A jamook. Hey, get out of here. Take a walk. Get out of here. What are you doing? You know, that uh, classic Canadian uh accent. Yeah. And then he kind of goes into like a trance and he's like, hey, oh, (laughs) you got a deal. And then Vink is like, marvelous. And he leaves. (laughs) He like vanishes out of thin air. Now, I must digress again to say this is a terrible deal because you know that all of Vink's other films are snuff films. He's going to be showing full murder, hardcore porn. You don't know that. The deal is all my... tasteful (laughs) foot fetish... Porn, <laughs> softcore. You give me one night a week to show my other films, no questions asked. Hey, if you want to save the Rialto, you you got to make some bold moves. Uh-huh, that's true. So then he vanishes and... Uh, and you know that old lady would be into it. <laughs> yeah. Old, old uh, manager, manager comes out of his trance and he's like, hey, oh, what happened? I feel so weird. And uh, they're like, are you going to go along with this deal? And he's like, fuck no, put that film in a closet. So they put it in the projection booth, tucked out of sight. A couple of weeks later, they're still playing their same old crappy films. Nobody's going. And the manager comes down a little bit downtrodden, and he says, Hey, oh, Pete, Katie, I gots to tell you something. They're shutting us down. They're like, No! We love the Rialto. And just then, Dr. Well, he loves the Rialto. Well, I love the Rialto. And Katie's like, I'm going to go get a job at the Cineplex. And he's like, oh, my heart. Just at that moment, Dr. Vink's film, Tucked Away in a Corner, starts glowing. And it kills the film that's in the projector. 
And they're like, oh, no, what do we do? And Pete's like, I've got an idea. So he spins up Dr. Vink's film, and wouldn't you know it, it gets an insane reaction because in this film, the vampire wins. I gotta say, this was kind of shades of Sweet Sweetback's badass song. When they made um, Sweet Sweetback, which was this black exploitation film, which was made after this episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark, badass was made way before, but Sweet Sweetback's badass song was made in like the 2000s. Sweet- yes, it was, a, it was about the making of badass. Um, in Badass, the African-American protagonist survives. He gets away. And in so many of those movies, the, the African-American protagonist kind of dies tragically at the end. And when the news got out, when audiences found out that the black guy lives, it was just huge smash sensation. And I kind of feel like the <laughs> same thing happened when Nosferatu wins in this movie that old lady was like yeah oh yeah sourpuss was like hey you keep uh programming movies like this maybe i'll buy two tubs of popcorn or something i don't know which i forget what she said but she was excited yeah she was loving it uh so yes to what you said i guess (laughs) thank you (laughs) of course they put the film in heavy rotation and it's gangbusters people are selling out the showings it's like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, People they just d- keep coming back. They decided over to do a Saturday Midnight Madness show with this Nosferatu film, which, by the way, this was my first ever Nosferatu, and he's a cool Nosferatu. He's veiny, he's pale, he doesn't have fangs, he has like weird rat teeth. Maybe that's rat teeth that are a little off-center. The, they're off-center, but they're in the front. They're not like the canines. I don't know if Nosferatu, the, like the original Murnau film, like has fangs or just regular teeth he but... has fangs but they're very rat-like fangs okay so similar and they're really yeah. long and weird real yeah. homage yeah it was great nosferatu. Um, was it murnau who did the original nosferatu gonna have to look it up vink shows up after a couple of weeks and demands they honor his deal hey it did exactly what i said it was gonna do now give me my one night a week and the manager's like hey oh I can't do that. I got A-list films in here. I can't show you a picture during the weekdays. I'll give you a, I'll give you a rental fee for your movie. And he's like, that wasn't the goddamn deal. The manager's like, hey, end of story. You're not getting this theater. And Vink's like, oh, that's where you're wrong. The story's just beginning. He leaves again because he's a nutbag. Well, he's efficient. He's, he drops in. Yeah. He sets the stakes. He does what he, he needs to do. He raises the stakes and then he pieces out. So Pete is obsessed with this movie, so he starts studying it to figure out what its power is. And during one of these private screenings, he falls asleep, and he has a dream where the Nosferatu comes out of the movie screen. He wakes up and was like, oh, man, I just had the craziest dream, Katie. Anyway, do you, you, you think you maybe want to go out with me? I, I c- 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 kind of like you. And she's like, oh, I c- c- kind of like you, too. And they're just about to kiss, and then they hear a scream, and the scream's like, hey, oh! <laughs> and so they run up they don't get their kiss and they find the manager like passed out over his desk with some crazy gross bite marks in his neck and katie goes oh, which is a totally honest and sensible reaction very much so but it, it was rat still bite. it made me laugh when she saw his vicious grievous neck wound and she was like gross so they try to call for help but the phone is dead they run out, they're going to leave, go get the police or whatever, and a creepy Nosferatu shadow creeps across the wall behind them. They're almost out, but the vampire is right in front of them, and he chases them around the theater. Pete figures 
Oh man, if the vampire came out of the movie, I got an idea. Go spin up the last reel. So Katie goes up to the projection booth, Pete goes down to the theater, Nosferatu is bearing down on him, and she says, it's ready, and Nosferatu gets distracted and goes after her, and he's just about to bite her. It took this long to spin up the film, I guess, when she like reaches and gets the projector started, so then Nosferatu gets distracted again, and he sees Pete go into the movie, and Pete goes to the corpse of the like Jonathan Harker or whatever like hero character inside the movie and says, sorry, pal, I gotta finish what you started. So he starts trying to drag Nosferatu's coffin into the sunlight, Meanwhile, Nosferatu comes back into the movie, and he's about to bite Pete. Pete grabs the curtains, pulls them down, full sunlight on Nosferatu, who turns into a pile of dust. Then Pete comes out of the movie. They come and hug or whatever, him and Katie. And then the manager comes out and is like, oh, hey, what a weird dream. Oh, my God. And then Vink is there in the theater. Bravo! I couldn't have done it better myself, my boy! And then the manager's had a change of heart with his near-death dream experience. And he says, you know, a deal's a deal. Uh, you can have your one night a week. And Vink says, no need. You see, I've just purchased this theater. I'm going to show my snuff films every night. And then we go back to the Midnight Society where the entire story was just a clever ruse to scare Kiki into giving up her Midnight Madness tickets so that Frank could steal them. I think he made his story up on the spot just so he could get a couple of free Midnight Movie Marathon tickets. And him and Gary go off into the moonset to watch some spooky movies. A few immediate reactions to this. One, much has been made about how cell phones have ruined modern thrillers and modern horror movies. You know, the, the tension or the isolation... Or that in a lot of modern thrillers and horror movies, they, it's almost a trope that you know people break their phones or they lose their signal uh-huh. or they're out of battery or whatever. But I think one thing that gets overlooked is that you no longer get that great moment that the kids got in the manager's office where they picked up the phone and they said, it's dead. Yeah. You don't really get that Panic. with cell phones. I feel like Vink was so deviously magical that he could have killed cell reception as well. Oh, no doubt. Because he's got it magic and been the same. Yeah. Two questions about the back half. The manager comes down after having received that grievous vampire bite. Yeah. And he's like, hey, oh, I'm <sighs> fine now. Uh-huh. Did you think he was going to turn into a vampire? I never thought that, no. Because once you defeat the Nosferatu... You think it's Lost Boys rules. Yeah, I do think so. You defeat so. the Master, yeah. Yeah. and then all the thralls are saved. Yeah. He hadn't made his first manager kill yet. <laughs> so I, I was wondering about that. Secondly, was this all in Pete's dream? Oh, man. Because Vink shows up pre-dream, but he's just a weird guy. Yeah. When the really freaky supernatural yeah. stuff started to happen... Except like, that, oh, including him actually getting a date with Katie after yes. being rejected three times. The, the, as soon as Nosferatu <laughs> comes out, he gets she, a date with she Katie. Lo- she falls and in she's love about with him. to kiss him. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but okay, so. And, and, and let's think about Pete's psychology. He's obsessed with the film, Nosferatu. He's obsessed with the Rialto. Yeah. He wants the manager out of the picture <laughs> so he can cosmically replace him as the father. There's only one problem with your theory, and that is Dr. Vink's glowing film killing the original movie before they even play it for the first time. Yeah, but what you don't understand is that with some of those old film stocks, they were very, <laughs> very volatile. Combustible. Very combustible. <laughs> so did they all die in a fire? Was that his like life flashing before his eyes? It could have been a, a uh, Jacob's fire? Ladder type oh, scenario. Man. Yeah. 
I don't think we're allowed to do Jacob's Ladder scenario because how did this we're get made? We're talking about has... films. It's true. We're talking about horror. It's true. So I'm going to say maybe. Okay, a strong maybe. When Nosferatu came out of the screen, that was dope. Yeah, again, I don't know how the hell they did that. I don't know how in they did it, but did it remind you of anything? Videodrome? Last Action Hero. Oh, never saw it. In Last Action Hero, um, Schwarzenegger comes out Schwarzenegger the comes out of the movie, and then they start going back and forth, and towards the end, Death himself from like the Seven Seals... <laughs> uh, comes out of the screen. Awesome. I'm going to have to watch Last Action Hero. Do you think Last Action Hero came out before or after this episode of Are You Afraid I of the I think Dark? it came out after. They both came out in June of 1993. Whoa. Isn't that wild? That's really wild. Yeah. People were uh, getting meta on movies. Yeah, it was in the zeitgeist. In 1993. I've so far enjoyed all these Vink episodes that you've exposed me to, but it, it occurs to me that Dr. Vink is is varied in his interests. Oh yeah, he's never technically the same Dr. Vink. When we first met him in the pilot, no less, he was both a ghost and a mad scientist. Uh-huh, oh yeah. And I feel like... A, that establishes that he has a multidisciplinary approach to his spooking. Sure. And B, I mean, you'd have to be those things to make this kind of magic film. Yeah, it all kind of fits. I don't know when we're going to complete the Vink oeuvre. Two more eps. When we do, I feel like we really need to try to break it down. Dr. Vink's journey, who sure. he is, what his the full scope of his powers and interests are but i i'm fascinated believe me i've got many many more that are far better than this one <laughs> to find a match for this episode i had to break out of the tales from the crypt tales from the dark side ghetto and go to a different 80s series called monsters something i had never heard of i had heard of it it was on my radar but i've never seen an episode of monsters which may have been to your benefit and uh so the episode i found as a match was called the legacy written by robert block refresh my memory a little book and movie called psycho oh shit yeah Wow. We're talking horror royalty here. So a writer, Dale, is speaking into a tape recorder that he's finally found proof that this Beechwood cabin he rented belongs to a famous old actor, a legendary actor named Fulton Pierce. And it becomes clear that this Fulton Pierce is sort of a Lon Chaney type, like a classic old Hollywood horror legend who was a master of makeup, a master of character transformation. Really disappeared into his roles. You could say that again. I was ready for Time to Shrew oh, two yeah. minutes and 14 seconds, but... It was like a pseudo-shrew. It, it was a, a soft shrew. <laughs> the, gave it the old soft shrew. Gave it the old soft shrew. The significant other shows up, but she's not a shrew. She is an antagonist, mm -hmm. but she's really the, she's the better yeah. person Most deaf. in this relationship. His girlfriend, Debbie, shows up, and she wants him to move out of this creepy old place. He realizes that he just found uh, Fulton Pierce's makeup case 
So this is not only a piece of Hollywood history, it's also, it, it connects him to the house, it connects him to the legend and legacy of Fulton Pierce, it tells him that he's on the right track for this book he's going to write, like he's just freaking the fuck out <laughs> which i say only because that's a, a bit of a catchphrase so he's just he's just blathering on and on about fulton pierce we're talking hollywood's most enduring legend he, it's like what really happened to marilyn monroe or, or uh, what caused james dean's crash who was the real fulton pierce <laughs> we also find out in this first scene that Debbie is uh, successful. And, and I'm not sure why. She has something to do with a magazine, and she's on the cover mm. of that magazine. So, she's more popular than her husband. For sure, her boyfriend. Boyfriend. So I don't know if uh, she's a model or an actress or a journalist. Or she's in the limelight, that's for sure. She's definitely in the limelight. So she's like, she's sexy, she's successful, she's got a lot going on for her. It makes you wonder why she's staying with this nebbishy writer. Must love him. Um, and she, she definitely doesn't want to stay in that creepy house. So she takes off. He spends the rest of the night gazing into this makeup box mirror. And he, he catches a reflection of the Fulton Pierce in his various guises as, you know, Dracula, as Quasimodo, you know, all these kind of classic horror things. And he, he just kind of gets wigged out and he closes the makeup box. Next day, he goes to interview an old fan or groupie. They're, they're talking about Fulton's transformations and things like that. Vampire. Why did he keep putting off that role until so late in his career? Made him uneasy. Something about that role. It was seductive. Evil. Yeah, I thought he, it was going to turn out that he had been a vampire the whole time, and uh, that's how he was able to play monsters so convincingly. I thought that the he was the final monster he magically transformed into was a vampire, and that's why he had to disappear from film or something. Couldn't couldn't be filmed anymore. Couldn't be filmed or was also a vampire. So this old-timey fan groupie warns him that researching Fulton's genius was dangerous and that he may be ready to pay a price. He goes back home and he's got writer's block, terrible writer's block. He can't start his book on Fulton Pierce. Which is the first book he's ever attempted. Am I correct? Well, uh, Debbie later just throw some major shade about how he didn't finish his PhD. Right. So why does he think he's going to be able to finish a, a book? Um, so he's just flitting from project yeah. to project. I don't know. He uh, He's a 40-year-old PhD dropout. Oh, it feels so familiar. <laughs> so um, he's sort of grappling with his writer's block and, and kind of becoming a little unhinged or just very angry. And Debbie shows up, and now she's upset because he forgot dinner. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I was writing. I was working. And she goes over and looks at the typewriter, and it's just completely blank. He hasn't written a single word. And, you know, she can see that he's not working. He's obsessed. And so she gives him an ultimatum. 
She's like, you need to choose between me or Fulton Pierce. You need to make up your mind. And that is like the thing that like triggers his breakthrough. He's like, make up your mind. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. That's it. Make up your mind. That's the key. Somehow he learned how to make up his mind. What are you talking about? Make up your mind. That's how he transformed into all these crazy characters and disappeared into his makeup. He would make up his mind. That was Robert Block's entire inspiration for this story. You know what? It was worth it that because that sort of, I don't know if it's A plot, B plot, or there was only the one protagonist plot and antagonist kind of crossing over there. But, you know, he has a, a love interest and she's trying to get him out of this obsession. And she says, you need to make up your mind. And he's like, she's essentially ready to break up with him. And he's like, yes, that's it. Catapults him further along. It catapults him further into his obsession. He's completely like deaf to what's going on. And in a weird way, he's so ecstatic about it. He's like, Oh, you solved it for me. I love you that it, like charms her and they totally get it on oh do they we see them later in a post coital in a post hunchbacking (laughs) (laughs) so yeah he totally made the beast with two hunchbacks with her Uh so when she gets up in the middle of the night she finds him looking in the mirror and gesticulating like a monster just acting like a weird freak (laughs) he says (laughs) And she looks at him and he totally like shrinks from her gaze and like collapses in a exhausted heap. To her credit, like she wants to nurture him. She wants to take care of him, even though he's a freaking maniac. She's a good lady and she probably just got the big O. a very good lady. She just had the big uh, Quasimodo. (laughs) You know, she's like trying to take care of him. And then she looks at the typewriter where he's been working on his big breakthrough and shining style it just says make up your mind Mm. over and over and over and over so in the morning you know he wakes up kind of with a headache hungover debbie is like please leave this awful house forget this terrible book leave this awful lovely little cottage dappled with sunlight he's like you don't understand it i'm about to hit it big um no more snide bosses and PhD advisors. No more teaching to snot-nosed kids. I think Nightmare on Elm Street's a good movie. Blasphemy, um, sir. Yeah. And no more being Debbie Curson's boyfriend. Mm, so we find yeah. out that he's jealous. Jealous of her success. Understandably, she's at her limit. She's pissed. So she leaves. That night, he goes full Quasimodo. Oh, yes. And you never want to go full Quasimodo. Hmm. He's looking in the mirror. Unless it's in the bedroom. One of his eyes has, like, drooped down his face. He has, like, a horrible hunchback. And he looks in the makeup mirror, and Fulton is beckoning him. <laughs> and, like, nodding like a creep. In the mirror and nodding. <laughs> and he's looking at the cover of New York Woman, which is the magazine with Debbie's picture on it Ah. and he's kind of like looking at him looking at debbie looking at him looking at debbie like big choice like let's kill debbie i think he wants 
to make Debbie his victim. Oh my. And so Dale runs over and like grabs the makeup case and lifts it up. And I think he's like struggling because he doesn't want to hurt Debbie. And then Fulton reaches his arms through the mirror and they literally start wrestling. And uh, Dale throws the magic makeup case to the ground and cracks the mirror. And a mysterious Bad smoke move, breaks out. And you're like, okay, is he free or did something else happen? So Debbie, bless her heart, mm-hmm. has come back one more time. She hears the commotion and she she breaks in only to find Fulton Pierce fully reincarnated a monster where the love of her life once was. Uh-huh. And Dale, or whatever his name is, nowhere to be seen. I think... Sucked into the mirror, perchance. I think Dale has transformed Quasimodo style oh, into you think so? Fulton Pierce's vampire form. Hmm. Yes. I thought Fulton Pierce got swapped and, like, released. It, it could have been a mirror swap. Because he was like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Because Fulton Pierce was starting to literally come out of the magic mirror, but also Dale was starting to literally transform into the monsters of Fulton Pierce. Either way, Dale is no more. Fulton Pierce is there. I'm pretty sure he's going to make a move on Debbie. And it ended with that classic old freeze frame spook sting where like they show you the scary reveal and then it just freezes Stops on that and the credits roll and at the double credits speed. Roll. as soon as i fired up the episode i said hell in a handbasket i know that guy he i don't remember the actor's name but he played mr ernst in another of my beloved old nickelodeon series hey dude which is about a city guy who buys a dude ranch <laughs> and goes out there and tries to run it, but he's like a bumbling fool, like goofball. And so, I mean, this actor is forever Mr. Ernst to me. Do you think there's a continuity there where he went to a dude ranch, tried that out? <laughs> Didn't really work out. Went to a, went to try to uh, get a, Holly- a PhD. A Hollywood <laughs> cabin. Yeah, probably. I mean, he was just making his way west slowly. Sure. He did a good job of kind of geeking out about the the classic old monsters. Yeah, and he was giving it his best. Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty charming. It was extremely straightforward, but I thought, you know, for 17 minutes, I thought they did a pretty good job. Yeah. I don't know. We didn't know who the actor was that he was chasing or anything. He was, was obsessing. Pierce. He was obsessing over nothing essentially from our point of view. All of the looks and the roles were direct I mean, rip-offs yeah, I guess of you Lon to, Chaney. Yeah. It was Lon Chaney. You had to bring that to it. Yeah, like what if Lon Chaney mysteriously disappeared? Right. That was the story. Fair enough. Uh so as we said earlier, Robert Block wrote Psycho. And he also one wrote, of my favorite films, unironically. And he also wrote a book called The Jekyll Legacy <laughs> about the doctor's, Dr. Jekyll's or Jekyll's net, uh, niece being stalked by a misshapen man. What, what are you making that face Does for? anyone say Jekyll? Apparently that is the proper pronunciation. <laughs> See the HP Weird. Lovecraft Literary Podcast for an in-depth exploration wow. of how Jekyll is the proper exploration. <laughs> this was based on a story by Robert Block. I don't know if that story was the Jekyll legacy because the Jekyll legacy took place 
Sorry. <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> really freaking can't. Ryan out. The Jekyll legacy <sighs> takes place right after Doctor the Curious Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Huh. So I don't know what that's about. But I do know this. The main Fulton makeup, where he's got the hat and like the shark teeth and Very the red eyes. Or Jekyll-y. Well, it's... It's Lon Chaney's character from the silent film London After Midnight, which was going to let it all hang out. Which was later remade by Todd Browning as a, uh, a talkie called Mark of the Vampire. But Mark of the Vampire is not, and London After Midnight were not vampire films. They were murder mysteries about someone who was killed, and then the murderers staged it to look like a vampire attack. To cover up a mundane murder. So why that was the character that came through at the end as the supernatural <laughs> monster, it's it's kind of, it's very meta, but also very anti-meta. Weird. I mean, he was certainly monstery. He wasn't just a person. Right. He was a monster based on a film where the monster was fake. So like you're telling the film me it was fake. <laughs> it's all a dream. <laughs> it's very, very strange, and I think it's time to get into ratings. Let's please do. <laughs> all right. So our new score, body count, body count for monsters, was two, maybe because Dale there were zero gets bodies taken over. Well, maybe one. Or Dale or Fulton Pierce is going to kill Debbie? Gunners don't count, my friend. Oh, all right. Only bodies on floors count. All right. <laughs> or I'll, in mirrors. Then I'll say one maybe. Scare factor, low. Low. I'll, 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 I'll be We should have a, another rating that's sunlight factor. <laughs> no. High, high in both episodes. <laughs> uh, gross factor. Um... I feel I mean, like they I guess did, if you have a problem a with hunchbacks. Good job with character makeup. Yeah, he was pretty gross. You know, gross-ish, but you know, Quasimodo, whatever. Um, what the factor? Uh, I, I give it a high. What the factor? You think? Yeah, because he was just obsessing so hard that he began transforming into monsters. He found a magic makeup kit. He was such a horrible nerd. He that was a nerd. his nerdery manifested in it, monster form on his face. No, he was a nerd who went to the place where the guy had the magic makeup kit. Yeah, well, I suppose that's true. He didn't even read any magic words or nothing. No, he just had to look in the mirror. Wow, he had to look at his own reflection. He also had to make up his mind. Yeah. I'll say Midland. Was it a metaphor for, like, being a creative? How you have to, like, sacrifice things? Uh, yeah. Because he made up his mind to be a monster and not love his wife and have dinner with her, or girlfriend. Sure. In which case, genius. Yeah. <laughs> high genius marks. Genius factor. High. Okay, Vink factor. Pretty pretty high. Pretty high. When he's in Quasimodo. Yeah. Quasimodo and, mode. And Fulton Pierce was kind of a Vink figure. Yeah, kind of a mad scientist. Magician. And theme. Of Magician. Holi- of Hollywood monsters. Yeah, I would say, unlike you guys in my uh, Leprechaun episode... Yeah, they were. He was certainly extolling the virtues of cinema as yeah. much as he could, and makeup and the genius of these techniques. Are you afraid of the dark? Body count two, if you count the protagonist in the film. Uh, Harker. Harker. The Harker analog. You know, 
I'd give that another pseudo because yeah, two pseudos equals it's one a body. Fictional character in a world in a fictional world in a world where Nosferatu <laughs> oh, can three. come out of the screen. Manager Harker Nosferatu. Ooh, and possibly undead, being because he he's a ghost. Destroyed. Hmm. <laughs> All right, I'm definitely giving the edge on body count. Uh-huh. To are you afraid of the dark? <laughs> scare factor. Okay, when when he's creeping up on them and about to bite them on the neck, pretty scary. Yeah, good makeup, good creep. Very good makeup, super creepy. He had these long finger extensions. Yeah, I was enjoying and, like, those. Crazy, really good veins on his... Uh, and I think he was played by this character actor who shows up in every show that's filmed in Canada. But I haven't looked it up yet, and I uh, frankly don't want to. Gross factor. Oh, gross. What the factor? I, I'm going to defer to you on this one because you hadn't seen it. We live in a post... Yeah, in a meta Last society. action hero... <laughs> world slash this episode so i wasn't that surprised that characters could come out of the movie especially one of dr vink's movies and by that point you know we may have already been familiar with dr vink so if he hands you a film and he insists on you playing it you can tell some crazy shit's gonna happen i'd say what the factor low uh yeah okay sure yeah um vink factor Vink Factor, excruciatingly high, my friend. He wasn't as gross, though, in this episode. He wasn't, like, sweaty or nothing. He wasn't f- freaking the fuck out. He wasn't he freaking wasn't the fuck out. Screaming. He wasn't playing with brains yeah. or any other organs. So I'd say it was... He did have his yellow teeth on full display, though. Yes, his teeth were very yellow. And his full hobo beard. I would say Vink Factor was high... And chewing popcorn with his mouth open. By dint of the fact that Dr. Vink was in it. Vink, yeah. I'm, basically, these are just ringers for me to win because I because we do Vink Factor. As Vink Factors go, <laughs> this is on, on the, the low end, end of the Vinkitude. Uh-huh. Yeah, low end of the Vink Spectrum. Yeah. Theme of Hollywood Monsters. I feel like the love of the old... Uh, old cinema. Old cinema. And old Nosferatu. Yeah. Going into the movie. Yes. And Pete turns into black and white. Yeah, very cool. Essentially all counts. I will give this one to Are You Afraid of the Dark? Ah, I accept your spooks. <laughs> I accept the putting down of your spooks. I lower my spooks <laughs> and I expose my throat to I your rat-like bite. I my derby to you, sir. So I've got some questions for you. Lay it on me, Spooky. If you could enter any horror movie, which would you and why? So you don't want to go into like Hellraiser or something that's just like purely nightmarish. I think I'd go into an American werewolf in Paris so that I could hang out with Julie Delpy. Interesting. Even though she has hairy bosoms. Hairy Julie Delpy. All right. You just want to bungee jump off uh, Eiffel Tower? Who doesn't? Not a bad choice. I'll bring a helmet with me, though. This is how we, re- this is how we win. <laughs> this is how we pull a Pete. See, I was thinking, you know, a- as terrible as it would be to fall asleep in Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> when you're awake. It's like, it's teens, it's parties, it's drinking, yeah. it's sexy good times. It's true. In fact, you're like most crude. of those 80s slasher films would be awesome Pretty great. to be in until the killing starts. Yeah. And in Nightmare on Elm Street, you can pull him out of the dream and win, except that he then comes back and gets you and 
pulls you into the dream? I, I don't know how that works, but the rules are not clear. Yeah. I, so I, you never know what you're going to get in that universe. I too concerned with trying to win in that scenario. And have you ever tried to not fall asleep? Not many it's times. It's a surefire way to fall asleep. Yeah. Question number two. If you could turn into any horror movie monster, a la Dale, with the magic makeup mirror, who would it be and why? Would you lose all control? And become completely creatured, or would you still have your faculties? You would become that character. Okay. For better Shit. or ill. Probably ill. Maybe I'm going to say creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah? All he wanted was love, and he can breathe underwater. And I love swimming, bro. Well, that seems pretty perfect. Yep. I was thinking uh, Candyman has some pretty <laughs> sweet powers. Yeah, but he gets assassinated by bees or something. That's pretty gruesome. He didn't get assassinated by bees. Didn't he get covered in bees? Yeah, that's his origin story. did he story. get burned at the stake? He was covered in honey. He had his hand hacked off. Yeah. Um, and they put bees on him. They put bees on him. But that's that was the human. Yeah, but do you, you have to go about through that process? To, no. Okay, that you can just have the powers without the bees. Yes. And hand hacking. You don't have to go through the like let's say you want to be Freddy Krueger, you don't have to be burned and by angry to parents, molest kids. Okay, yeah, fair enough, sure. Ju- yeah, just to become a movie monster, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. the way that Dale did. Does that count as classic mo- Hollywood monster? I'm, no, this is not restricted to classic. Okay, okay. This could be any horror movie monster. So if you want to revise, if you want Candy to be the Baba Duke, wow. would you be Michael Myers because it's always Halloween? Nah, you love Halloween. It's not always Halloween. You got to sit in an asylum. 364 days out of the year. Oh, that's true. You gotta take long car rides. And he doesn't swim. Also true. I stick with my answer. Alright. And I stick with my answer. Candyman. <laughs> Candyman only has Don't to say it a third time, no dude. Shit. Be my victim. Oh my god! Rerun for your life!